Now we give a warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship this evening, both those in the building here and those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 65. It's page 82 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord. To you our vows will pay. To you all people will come near. You hear us when we pray. When we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay, you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 65. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord.
And let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we sing these songs, help us to stop and to ponder the truths contained within them. The song speaks of you being the one who is in control of the oceans and the waves. We remind ourselves that on the Sea of Galilee one day, when disciples were fretful and fearful and cried out, Carest thou not that we perish? You commanded the wind and the waves with peace, be still, and there was a great calm. But we realize it isn't just the physical waves that you can deal with. The metaphoric waves of life are sometimes so tumultuous and so terrible and so fearful. We pray that we would turn to you in all our need and ask you to have mercy upon us and to calm us in our souls. Even this very hour as we seek to worship you, we realize that the enemy of our souls knows what day this is, what place this is, what book this is, which people are here. And he does all things and he does everything to try and destroy the interaction of worship. But we pray that you would be a wall of fire around us and that you would enable us to worship in spirit and in truth. And we pray that we would be able to glean from the activity of worship. And may we, as we look around this world, at many difficulties that face us, remember that we can turn heavenwards. We think of the devastation that's going on in Ukraine at the moment. We view it from afar. We simply cannot enter into it. We can imagine something of what it's like. But we pray for your people there. And indeed we pray for all people there. And indeed we pray for young Russian soldiers. Who seem to have been slaughtered by the thousands. Many, many homes in Russia absolutely devastated. Who left their homeland thinking they were going on an exercise. <coughs> We pray that those who are in influences of power, who are abusing that power, that they would be brought to naught. We um, pray that also that we would remember that the West is not squeaky clean. So many of our Western democracies have legislated in a way that is such an affront to you and we pray that you would have mercy upon us we realize that in days long ago you raised up a Nebuchadnezzar to deal with the rebellion of another people you are still in control but uh, in the midst of what we see going on on our doorstep in Europe We realize it could easily come to our doorstep. 
we pray that we would thank you for the blessings and the benefits that we have had for a long time that we are so ready to take so for granted and we pray that peace would prevail in this world of uh, ours but the song doesn't just speak about you being in control of literal ways it speaks of you dealing with our guilt washing away our sins that's why we are here this night may we never ever forget that that salvation is indeed a gift we have all sinned and we have come short of the glory of God and uh, as someone said on one occasion we are so hardwired to salvation by good works but we will not be saved by works at all may we embrace the free offer of the gospel whilst we have opportunity remember as we pray and our loved ones wherever they may be this night across the globe have mercy on them may we all be together in the great beyond because we have trusted in Jesus as our saviour and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now let's sing again to God's praise This time it's in Psalm number 32 On page 38 of the Psalter And it's at the beginning of the Psalm How blessed the one who has received forgiveness for his sin Whose sins are covered from God's face Whose debt is cancelled in God's grace There's no deceit in him when I kept silent, all my bones with groaning were worn out. Beneath your hand I felt entrapped both day and night. My strength was sapped as in a summer drought. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 32. How blessed the one who has received forgiveness for the sin. <coughs>
read God's Word. As we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 24. And we read at the beginning of the chapter. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground the men said to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad then one of them named Cleopas answered him are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days and he said to them what things and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth the man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes and besides all this it is now the third day since these things happened moreover some women of our company amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but him they did not see and he said to them O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself so they drew near to the village to which they were going he acted as if he were going further but they urged him strongly saying stay with us for it is towards evening 
and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that as we turn to your word this night, that you would help us. We do realize that just as these people on the road to Emmaus needed divine intervention, to open their eyes, to realize who Jesus was. So we also need the same. May we never forget that. And we pray that as we come to your word this night, we would come with a humility, acknowledging that we have nothing to woo you with. Nothing. 
Indeed, it is the very opposite. There are mountains of provocations in our lives that would cause you to shun us, but we ask you to not do so. Despite all that we are and all that we have been, we pray that as we turn to the Word this night, that uh, we would be fed in our souls. The direction that you gave to the people on the road to Emmaus all these years ago would be a direction that you would give to us and that we would respond in the same way as they responded. For they said, did not our hearts burn within us? He talked to us by the way and opened to us the scriptures. And we pray not only for ourselves to have that blessing, but wherever your people are across the globe this night, even if they are gathered in twos and threes. And indeed we remember those who are all alone, for one reason or another. May they realize they're not really alone if you're with them. We pray that you'd remember those who would be here this night if they could, but they cannot. We thank you for technology that enables them to join in. Remember those who are in the congregation who are struggling. Remember the many people who are, whose family circles have been visited by the cold hand of death in recent times and who are trying to come to terms with these things. We realize that you are the conqueror of death, and we thank you for that. But we realize also that sometimes these adjustments are just so painful and so difficult. Remember others who have been in hospital in recent times who have just returned home. Be a blessing to them where they are. And indeed to all who are in any kind of difficulties. We pray that we would come to your footstool and unburden our souls there. And we pray now that as we turn to this, your word, as we explore what happened with troubled people 2,000 years ago, that we would learn from these verses and that our response would indeed be to honour you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing to God's praise in Psalm number 61. It's page 293 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song, O God, give ear unto my cry, unto my prayer attend. From the utmost corner of the land my cry to thee I'll send. What time my heart is overwhelmed and in perplexity, do thou me lead unto the rock that higher is than I. We'll sing down to the end of the the verse marked 5, Psalm 61 at the beginning. O God, give ear unto my uh, cry.
to the passage that we've read in Luke's Gospel chapter 24 <clears throat> and we read again at verse 32 they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures <clears throat> Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. We're basically returning to the same chapter of Scripture that we were exploring this morning. And this morning we looked at uh, the deduction that the disciples came to concerning the events that had gone on in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, and in particular what had happened to uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And here they were, they're on their way home uh, to Emmaus, about seven miles from uh, Jerusalem, and we know that they are exceedingly flat. He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And I think I did say this morning when they stood still, I think they probably stood still with their mouths open wide. They could hardly believe what they were hearing. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said, What things? And I underscored that point this morning that Jesus was asking a question but it's not as if Jesus needed to be educated. It's not as if Jesus didn't know what was happening. He was at the very heart of everything that was happening in Jerusalem for 1,446 years or at least the best part of it. Passovers had been held in the land of Israel but here was the Passover. 
Not one Passover lamb of all those over almost one and a half thousand years that were sacrificed could take away a single sin because the blood of bulls and coats cannot take away sins. But these sacrifices pointed to the sacrifice. Here he is. Paul writing to the Corinthians tells them he is the Passover. He is the Passover. And I don't know when it dawned upon Jesus when... It dawned upon him that that's who he really was. We do know this much. At um, at the age of 12, when he went missing on a Passover visit to um, Jerusalem, when they eventually found him, he was in the temple. And you remember what he said, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? It looks as if he has a fair degree of knowledge then as to who he is and what he's about because even the learned doctors of the temple are utterly astonished with the knowledge he has. Now, he was obviously even at that stage in his life pretty well versed, we assume, in the Old Testament. I don't know where he got access to it because you'll remember at the purification ceremony all that they could come up with was two pigeons, nothing more. And that was an accommodation by God so that the very poorest of people could engage in religious ritual and and worship. Jesus was from a very, very poor home. And you know, we have the Bible, maybe some of us have many Bibles in our homes, or we can get it online. It wasn't like that in a day gone by. You needed to be very wealthy to possess a Bible. Where he got access to it, I don't know, but he was obviously in it. And how much he discovered, when he discovered, I'm not 100% sure, but he certainly, uh, at the age of 12, knows a fair degree, and then at the age of 33, he knows a great deal more. He knows a great deal more. He is the uh, Passover. And so he doesn't need to learn anything from these disciples, these two people. But um, he asks them about the conversation they're having. And when it comes up to what things, they are, they're, they are so astonished that he, he doesn't seem to know. But he does know. But he needs them to challenge themselves. Because they have worked it all out in their minds as to what... Now, we don't know this in fine detail, but we know that they were very sad. Things have not gone according to their expectations. Their deduction was that things have not gone the way they thought they would go. And that's why they are very, very sad uh, people. And the second point we looked at this morning was the direction that Christ gives all foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. You see, they're off beam they're well off the mark but Christ comes and he gives them direction and he points them uh, in, in, in the right way 
And I think we concluded this morning uh, reminding ourselves of this very point. The very thing that knocked the stuffing out of these people, the very thing that had them with their heart in their boots, the very thing that had them flatten their souls, was the one and the same thing that would soon have them elated and soaring. Because their deductions were wrong. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And later on we read of the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Fool. Absolutely chock-a-block. With messianic material. And the two things we were going to look at this evening were the delight of these Disciples, whether it was a husband and wife, whether it was two men, I'm not 100% sure. Someone said to me going out the door this morning that it was definitely a, a husband and wife because we read in scripture of the wife of uh, Cleopas, but I'm, I don't know whether it was the same Cleopas or not, you know. Even within the discipleship of Jesus, there were two men by the name of Judas and so when we would talk about the body amongst the disciples, we would have to be very careful and say, "Well, it was Judas Iscariot. It wasn't. It wasn't the other. Uh, it wasn't the other uh, Judas." But we want to look at the delight of these people. It's there in the verse that we've read. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us?" And then our fourth point would be their determination. It's there in verse 33. They arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. But first of all. First of all, uh, the delight. They're joined by Jesus. They haven't a clue who Jesus is. And this conversation goes on between them. And they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Now what is the significance of uh, verse 30? Why is it there? When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. What was it that enabled these people to recognize Jesus. Now there are various views on this, but the two that I'm going to speak about is this. And this is a very interesting thing. It's their home by the looks of it. Or at least one of them. And Jesus is the invited guest to that home. But he seems to take over. Because he is the one who is uh, taking bread and he is the one who blesses it. And it has been suggested that the fragrance of Christ's blessing was noted by these people. And indeed that's very possible. But he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. But the other thing is this. When Jesus... And you know, some people have thought this is um, this is a communion. This is the Lord's Supper. But you know, Finlayson, who was once 
professor of systematic theology in the Free Church College in those days, that's what it was called, was very much of the mind that this was not a communion, that this was just a normal supper, if you like. And uh, when you have a heavyweight like Finlayson saying that, you listen uh, to what he has to say. But in the breaking of the bread, there is this idea that the palms of the hands are, uh, are, are, are made apparent. And of course, these are nail-pierced. These are nail-pierced hands. Now it's interesting, uh, there was an old free church minister on one occasion and that was put to him that the fragrance of the prayer and uh, the breaking of the bread manifesting nail-pierced hands were what uh, enabled these disciples to know that it was Jesus. And he was having none of it. He was absolutely having none of it. This was a miraculous intervention that gave them that insight. But you know what? The Westminster Confession of Faith speaks about God using secondary means. There is no reason in the world why these both things should be uh, exclusive. It's, it's eminently feasible that the fragrance of the prayer and the manifestation of what was on the hands was used in a a miraculous way by God to give these people the insight that they didn't have, that they simply didn't have up until that a point in time. But we do know this. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And what then? He vanished from their sight. And you think, what on earth did you do that for? At that crucial moment when they realized who it is, he's gone. But let's remember this. The just shall live by faith. And that's the way Christ would have it for these people. And indeed that is the way Christ would have it for us all. That's the way. We live by faith. But listen to this. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us eh, the scriptures? You know, it's just so easy to take the Bible and to read your chapter and to come to it empty and to leave it just as empty. It's so easy to read from Genesis to Revelation and glean nothing from it. You know, sometimes sometimes we come to God's Word and we are just so arrogant. Sometimes we come to God's Word and we're just so indifferent. And I'm afraid sometimes we come to God's word and written large all over our coming is that we couldn't really care less. Well, we reap the rewards of such coming. We do reap the rewards. But if we come to God's word with our mouths open wide that we might be filled with the good things in it, he will fill us. If we come with the lowliness and the humility and the sincerity that he deserves in our coming, 
he will uh, listen uh, to us. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. You know, it does elate a soul when the things that have been so dejecting you and so depressing you and so getting you down that there's a new light shed in them and you suddenly realize it's not the way I thought it was at all. It simply isn't. That the Lord is in control of everything. Do you remember when, um, when they come to Jesus concerning Lazarus and they say, the one whom thou lovest is sick? And he doesn't seem to bat an eyelid. He doesn't drop everything and rush back to Bethany where Lazarus lives. He doesn't. It's days before he gets there. And someone looking on might well think, well, I thought there was compassion in the soul of this man. I thought he cared. I thought they were best of friends. Well, they were best of friends. And he did care and he was full of compassion, but he held back. Why did he hold back? Because passion, compassion drained from that Nothing of the kind. Nothing of the kind. These people got an insight not into a Christ who could restore a sick man. They got an insight into a Christ who can resurrect a dead man. Was it painful? It was very painful. It was very painful. Was it beneficial? It was very beneficial. It was very beneficial. I think, again, it was Finlayson who said... These people on the road to Emmaus needed to be emptied before they were filled. We don't like being emptied, I'm afraid. In our pride and in our conceit and in our arrogance, we don't like an emptying experience. But sometimes we need that emptying so that he can fill us with the good things of the word of uh, of God this one that they thought and I don't know exactly what their thoughts were but they had all it had all fallen to pieces and they were now exceedingly sad the whole of the Old Testament spoke about it that he would die and he would pay the price of redemption and that's why Repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from uh, Jerusalem. It was all part of the plan. It was all absolutely necessary. You know, someone sent me something today, a text. I hope I've got this right. But it was, uh, it was a quote from Spurgeon and it was this. God looks on you as if you were Christ. Because God looked on Christ as if it was you. And you know, when I read that text at first, I just thought, you, know, you almost recoil. You almost recoil. Because we look at ourselves and we know who we are better than anybody else we know who we are. 
and to think that God looks on you as if you were Christ, you were thinking, oh no, no, that's a bit too, that's a bit too much. That is just going beyond the pale. That is too presumptuous. That, my dear friend, is substitutionary atonement. That's what it is. Does it sound too good to be true? Yes, it does. There are days when we just have to pinch ourselves and we have to remind ourselves that that is the truth on the pages of the book that the truth has given to the human race. That is, that is the reality. Salvation is an absolute gift. That's why there isn't a single soul here this night who should be lost. But you will be lost if you don't trust in Jesus and believe him. And that was the problem with these people. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. That's our problem, is it not? Be, just, just to take him at his word and believe what he is saying. May God grant that we would be able to, to just to take him at his word. Because it would blow into smithereens so many of our doubts and fears and troubles. But I must move on to the final point, and that's the determination that we find amongst these people. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I mean, seven miles, it's a fair trek. The day is far spent. That's why they tell them to come in. And it's not as if it's simply a seven-mile walk. They would shut the gates of Jerusalem at night for security reasons and outside these city walls were people who made their living on the basis of robbery. These were dangerous places to be. That's why the woman going outside the city gate at the crack of dawn on resurrection morn that's why you have to admire them. That's why you have to admire them. It was a dangerous thing to do. But it looks as if ardent love can master all kinds of fears and all kinds of obstacles. I I think we touched on that this morning with Mary Magdalene. She loved the Lord Jesus Christ. She was desperate to anoint his body and to show the respect that she wanted to give to him. But he had relieved her from the possession of seven demons. She was a profligate woman. But we are all profligates, that's the bottom line. We are all profligates. And the more insight we get into that profligacy, the more emptying that the Spirit of God does in our experience, the more room there is to be filled with an ardent love for the one who has done it all for us. As these women went out these city gates to a environment that would normally have instilled fear in them, all the fears have been blown away because they'd been mastered by love. And here are these two people 
and they've just walked all these seven miles and it's towards even and the day is far spent and they are off to do another seven miles in much more difficult and hazardous conditions than the first journey they did well what's this all about these people were attached not only to this Christ who had manifested himself to them, they were attached to people still back there in the city of Jerusalem. And they were desperate to share the good news. That is what you call really ardent uh, love. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. What determination! And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? They're going to burst in with this marvellous news, but they know already. I wonder when they discovered that it was Simon Peter that the Lord gave a one-to-one, did they say, Oh, it can't be Simon Peter. It can't be the man who has denied him three times over and ultimately with curses and with oaths. But this love thing goes two ways. Mary Magdalene loved the Lord Jesus Christ because he first loved her. And that's the way it goes with everyone who is ever saved. Now why should it be like... I cannot answer that question. I cannot answer why... Jesus of Nazareth would love any of us. I just know that that's the truth. He says it. And we believe that. And he manifests it by giving Peter a one-to-one. Now it's not the only interaction he'll have with Peter. That was a private interaction. There will be another public interaction. But that's even perhaps more astonishing. Because the Peter that you think has messed things up so badly that he's never going to be of any use to the church ever again is told, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And he is restored to a position in the church and very soon the enemies of the church not the friends of the church but the enemies of the church are going to say of Peter and the other disciples they've turned the world upside down and you think how on earth can poor pathetic wretched individuals like that turn the world upside down it's not them They are not the ones who are turning the world upside down. It's this God who opened the eyes of the people on the road to Emmaus. Divine intervention. And this God uses earthen vessels. And he used an earthen vessel like Peter. To change the world. And all its history. That's why... There isn't such a thing as a believer in the church, irrespective of what he or she has done, who cannot be used by God. You know, sometimes sometimes when the challenges of the day are staring you in the face, we think we get ourselves off the hook by saying, well, there's one thing for sure, I cannot fill the breach. And we can reel off a hundred different reasons whereby we've blotted our copybook and that has excluded us from filling the breach. It didn't in the case of Peter. It never does. It's not an off-the-hook equation. 
because he does use earthen vessels in his great work of salvation. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of uh, the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Why peace? Because he knows that even in these circumstances, they were still troubled. And it is amazing how often in Scripture Jesus has to come to people and say, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. You know, the songs we have been singing tonight, they're about waves. And waves can be so destructive. Waves can destroy so much. But every wave of every ocean is mastered by him. And that's true of metaphoric oceans as well. We are so mastered at times by the waves of life. They can be exceedingly boisterous. And we just don't have a leg to stand on. Not a single leg to stand on. Well, that's not quite true for the believer. Their deduction concerning Jesus was just so wrong. Jesus directs them in the right way and he opens to them the scripture. It delights them in their souls. Their hearts are burning within them. And that burning and that delight overflows into a determination to do something and for them it was to get back to Jerusalem to tell others the astonishing news and that's the challenge for you and I in the 21st century wherever God has set us there is a naking world out there and it's a lost world And it needs to know the glory of a salvation full and free, gifted by Christ. May we, in response to what Christ has done for us, have something of that verve and that drive and that determination. Amen. Let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 126. It's a fitting psalm because it talks of a great change coming in the experience of God's people. That's what happened to those on the road to Emmaus. When Zion's bondage, it's found on page 419 of the Psalter. When Zion's bondage, God turned back. As men that dreamed were we. Then filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody. They among the heathen said, The Lord great things for them hath wrought. The Lord hath done great things for us, whence joy to us is brought. We'll sing the whole psalm to God's praise. When Zion's bondage, God turns back.